Well, good morning, everybody. It's good to see you today. You guys are such Coloradans. Let me just tell you this. It snows. Last night, it was like clear, and we had a few people here. And then on Sunday morning, we got snow on the ground, and everybody shows up to church. Way to go. That is so good. Uh, it's a mark where you're like, I'm not going to let snow keep me from worshiping my God. And that's a cool thing, man. Way to go. Yeah. Yeah. Way to go. I encourage you. Hey, can you uh, just show appreciation? Um, our worship team is amazing, aren't they? Can you just show them some love? They, they, they work so hard. Uh, you know what, what juices them up is when they see you worshiping. That's what excites them. When they see you opening your mouth, singing the songs, their hands wide open and just worshiping God. I just want you to know that's how you encourage the worship team. Every single weekend when they see that, they look out and they see you engaged in worship. They have no desire to put on a show. No desire at all. Uh, they they want to lead you to, to the throne. <laughs> they want to lead you to heaven. And uh, they want you to experience God. So we appreciate them. Appreciate them so much. Um, hey, this message, it's, it's fire. Let me just tell you that right now. It is fire. Am I saying that right? Teenagers, students, am I saying that right? It's fire. Should I say it's lit? What's new? Am I outdated already? Am I like, am I like 2021 or something like that? <laughs> it's lit. Is that right, Avery? It's lit. You guys are now making fun of me. Don't make fun of your pastor, okay? Um, hey, we have a, a cool thing coming up. I want you to be aware of. It's called a Love on Mission Trace. So we've, uh, um, we, it's called Love on Mission Trace. Called Love on Mission Trace. Um, <laughs> we've not done this before. This is a new thing. Thorn Creek has done this. Uh, maybe churches who've been here before have done this. I don't know. But um, we want to, on Sunday, April 10th, that's Palm Sunday weekend, um, we are going to uh, love on a whole bunch of strangers that come shopping here at Mission Trace. There's like 80 something like businesses in this, comp- in this business strip. But um, we're going to, we want to give out like gift cards. And, uh, and gift cards to shoppers that are walking into King Supers and pay for people's gas at the corner uh, grocery or gas station there. And, and people who are walking into restaurants just love on them. So what we need is we're looking for a team of people that are willing to help out with this mission project. Okay. And uh, sometimes you, you don't always have to travel you know, overseas to do mission work. You can do it right in your backyard if you want. So uh, we're looking for people. If that excites you, um, let us know. Email us at info at thorncreek.church and tell us you are interested in being part of the team. And that's what we're looking for. We're looking for a team of people right now to help lead this project. So we want to move quickly. So email quickly. Don't put it off. And uh, just help us love on people. Now, the hope is they come to know Jesus. That's the hope. Um, the next weekend is Easter weekend. So, so the hope is as we pass these out, people are thinking, well, maybe I should go to church. You know, I've been thinking about a church and I got a kid now, so maybe I should go to church or whatever it is. Or, you know, I'm, I'm going to start over again. I've been through a lot. Maybe God, maybe I need God, whatever it is. And, and that's our hope. So we, we, it requires a, a smiling face and uh, someone who's just willing to be the hands and feet of Jesus. All right. Well, let's pray. Um, Jesus, thank you for your grace and your mercy. God, I thank you for speaking to me while I was there in that front row, Lord. Thank you for your word that you gave me, Lord. You know I needed it this morning. Thank you for your grace over my life, forgiving me for my sins. And then you have this crazy idea to use me, Lord. I'm so humbled by that. Thank you for the souls that 
just rolled out of bed and came to church. Thank you for this encouragement, Lord, as we serve you, Lord, on this side of heaven. Thank you, Lord. I pray that every soul has an encounter with you, God. Some, some people were, were invited to come to church, and some were dragged to come to church, and some come to church because this is their church, Lord. You know where everyone's at spiritually, Lord. You know every thought. And I just pray that you speak. You speak to every person. You know what every person needs, and you're so good. You're so good at that, Lord. We praise you. We praise you, Lord Jesus, for who you are. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, for going before us. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the blood that was shed. And, and thank you for, the, for, for, for conquering death. And thank you for the empty grave. And thank you for your Holy Spirit. Thank you for being with us and never forsaking us. Never walking out on us. We don't ever have to hear the door slam with you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. I'm grateful you never sleep and you never slumber. I'm grateful we can cry out to you at 2 o'clock in the morning and at 4 o'clock in the morning. I'm grateful, God, that you don't get overwhelmed with all the prayer requests that you hear. I'm grateful, God, that there's no problem too big for you and no heart too hard for you. Lord, I want to lift up Ukraine and Russia to you right now, God. It's, you know, it's all over our news right now, and I'm listening to some podcasts on it, Lord, and it's just weighing on me. I know we have brothers and sisters there in Ukraine and in Russia. And I pray, God, that you somehow, somehow bring peace. You watch over those who are, who are fighting and, and those refugees and just all of those. Just, Lord, would you be with that whole situation? It's just horrible. Sometimes on this side of heaven, Lord, there's just evidence that we live in an evil world. So, God, work there. Lord, I want to pray for my wife. She's in Divide, Colorado right now, God, and she's ministering to pastor wives right now. Would you just give her the words to speak and, and bless her time with these pastor's wives? Thank you, God, for your grace and your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Guys, I could have prayed for a little bit longer. My wife's in Divide right now. Um, she's such a wonderful, beautiful woman. She's ministering to like 40 women who are all pastor's wives. And, and uh, she, and she and this other gal are, are, uh, are encouraging them and they did this whole retreat just for them. So pray for her. She's concerned about the snow. I had to shovel the snow myself today. Normally she shovels all the snow every time it snows. And then I want her to make breakfast for me because you know, she takes too long shoveling snow. It's an old joke, it's probably the tread is probably worn out on that thing. Hey, uh, on Friday night, I saw this movie um, on Netflix called Warrior. Anybody seen this movie? It's a, it's a great romance movie. Um, <laughs> no, it's a story about these two brothers, and, and they grew up in this home, and, and uh, the brothers, uh, the, it wasn't a good home. Um, dad's like a, dad's a drunk, and he, he just can't shake it, and, and it ends up, you know, exploding in his home, so to speak, and Mom and takes one son and goes one direction, and dad takes the other son and goes the other direction, and they both have so much anger built up inside of them. And uh, they're living with, I mean, talk about the power of grudges. I mean, at, at the end of this movie, they both go into this like UFC match because they both need money, and they're both fighting each other, and there's brothers, and they're kicking each other and doing all this kind of stuff. And, and at the end, he's got them like in this arm bar kind of thing, and he's like, oh, I love you. You know, it's that kind of thing. And it's just a cool movie. And I was by myself because Grace is in Divide, and I'm like crying like a baby on the sofa. 
sofa. And I'm thinking, gosh, if this is, there's ever a movie about grudges, this is it. There's so much uh, anger inside of these brothers that they actually just, it's released through the, in, the, in this cage. And, 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 they're, they're, and I think about that and I think, you know what? All of us have experienced that before. I know I've experienced that before. Anybody wrestle with grudges and you've been hurt before and, and maybe mom has hurt you, dad has hurt you, whatever, a, t- a coach, a teacher, a friend or whatever it is. And there's something inside and you just kind of carry that grudge inside of you and it's there you know what I'm talking about uh, and uh and I, I think about that and I think about this this movie and I, I think man we've all we've all been there before and I think we learn to coexist with this stuff you know we have these grudges inside of us and these memories of what someone said or what someone did and it's kind of like we put that in our memory bank and we live like that, and we convince ourselves, I'm not going to get hurt like that again, or whatever it is, but it robs us from so much. So I want you to hear this. God does not want you to carry any grudges. In this world, hurt is a normal thing. You ever been hurt by a friend? <laughs> you ever been hurt by someone you care about? Like you deeply care about, and then they turn around and, and hurt you? Have you been there before? Pastors, I'll just tell you, this is our business. We love on people. We get hurt by people. And then we love on the next person. Much of our life is like that for pastors. So just pray for pastors. That's the business we're in. You love on people. You get hurt by, and it makes you appreciate God's love because I think about how many times have I hurt God? How many times have I said something, done something, whatever it is, and you know, God's the all-seeing God. How many times... Has God extended grace and mercy towards me when I didn't even know it? When I didn't even know it. When I was over here in the front row, um, there's that song uh, that we just sang, uh, um, Living Hope. And uh, there's that phrase where, where I am his. And, and, and it's just, it's, it overwhelms me to think that, that God loves me. Doesn't it overwhelm you that God loves you just the way you are? Wow. God doesn't want you to walk away with any grudges. Right now you came to church and here's what God wants to do inside of you. God wants to clean your heart. God wants you to let it go. Turn to the person next to you and just tell them, let it go. Can you do that? Tell them, let it go. God's going to do some work inside of your heart. Do you believe that? Um, <laughs> that's my prayer. God wants, God wants you, you to let it go. So we're going to look at, we're in this uh, series called the Gospel of Mark. And if you're just joining us, we're, we're going through this gospel. Um, it's, um, uh, third book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and then John. And Mark, we're going through chapter by chapter, and we're just kind of pulling out a story in each chapter. And, and, and all this stuff, it's, it represents all these props, you know, this thing hanging on, on the, the canoe. And, and, and we've got fish and loaves over there, and we've got over here a, a bucket and a towel. This all represents the gospel of Mark. And in chapter 6, there's this story involving a grudge. You think you have had a grudge. This is a powerful grudge. And we can learn a lot from Mark chapter six. And I believe God has a word for you. I believe God wants to free you. I believe God wants to do something special and surprising inside of you that will give you a new perspective, a new capacity to love and do life with freedom. That's, that's my prayer. So let's jump into this, guys. Verse 14, chapter six says this. Herod Antipas... The king soon heard about Jesus because everybody, everyone was talking about him. 
So I want to make sure we understand what we're reading here. Herod Antipas. He was the, he was the son of Herod the Great. He was the son of Herod the Great. In fact, a movie portrayed him and his dad. Um, Herod the Great, uh, his dad, he was the guy that was responsible for, um, you remember the, the wise men? Uh, we say three wise men, but scripture really doesn't tell us how many wise men. But the wise men showed up to King Herod, that was Herod the Great, and said, hey, there's going to be a baby born in Bethlehem. And Herod the Great says, we're going to kill every baby or every child two years old and younger. That was Herod the Great. That was dad. So this is son that we're talking about. The son, he's known as Herod Antipas. The, these names Herod kind of confuses everyone because there's several Herods in the scripture. Uh, they, these are kings over an area. Um, Herod Antipas, uh, he ruled from 4 BC to 39 AD. That's kind of his frame. So when you look in scripture in the New Testament, many times you read about Herod in scripture. It's really referring to the son during the days of Jesus. It's referring to the son. He was one of 14 children. And uh, he was a Jewish leader, and he was given uh, this uh, responsibility over Galilee to rule it, and, and that's, what he, that's what he did. He's mentioned about 10 times in the New Testament, and typically he's just referred to as Herod. So that's, that's Herod. Oh, we're going to learn more about him in a little bit. Verse 14 says, some were saying, this must be John the Baptist raised from the dead. So like Jesus is developing this reputation. He's going around and he's performing miracles and he's teaching. So he's got a little bit of a rep now and, and people are talking about him and they're saying, some say he's John the Baptist raised from the dead. This is why he can do such miracles. Others said he's the prophet Elijah and still others said he's a prophet like the other great prophets of the past. So they're like John the Baptist, Elijah, an Old Testament prophet, whatever it is. He's someone like that. But when Herod heard about Jesus, he said, John, the man I beheaded has come back from the dead. So he's, uh, Herod says, um, the guy I beheaded, John the Baptist, that's the guy who baptized Jesus, you know, in, in early in his ministry. Uh, Herod says, oh, Jesus is the guy that I beheaded. That's what he's saying. John the Baptist, I beheaded. Now, now he's saying this, and then, and you got to make this shift because in verse 17, he like recaps the story. So it's from verse 17 on, he's going to tell you, oh, this is what happened. This is why I beheaded John the Baptist. Here's the story. For Herod had sent soldiers to arrest and imprison John as a favor to Herodias. She had been his brother Philip's wife, but Herod had married her. So this is a little confusing. Like, who's, who are these characters? So what's this about? Um, Herod Antipas had a brother named Philip. Okay? Brother named Philip. Philip lived in Rome. And Herod Antipas lived in Jerusalem. Philip was married to a woman named Herodias. I, I found this picture of Herodias. I have no idea how she looked like, but maybe she looked like this. I think she was kind of pretty, I'm guessing. Um, it's kind of hot. But uh, Philip and Herodias are, are married and they have a kid, a daughter named Salome. Salome, that's, that's her name, Salome. It's spelled like sa salmon or salome, but it's Salome. Um, so Philip and Herodias are husband and wife. And Philip is the brother of Herod Antipas. Got it? Herod Antipas and Philip are brothers. And Philip, I should have like people up here to help you understand. And, and Philip and Herodias, they have a kid named Salome. So what happens is it was right around uh, this, this gal Herodias. She's an interesting woman because in 26 AD, 26 AD, what year guys? 20, 26 AD. Um, Herod says, I'm going to go and visit my brother Philip in Rome. So he goes to Rome to visit his brother Philip. And he has an affair with his sister-in-law, Herodias. 
So Herodias and him, they're about five years apart, and they've known each other their whole life. It gets even more confusing because Herodias, the woman, is actually the daughter of one of the other brothers, okay? So this is just incest, incestuous relationship all over this stuff. This is like, like a soap opera. Um, and, uh, and, and so then they have this affair in Rome, and then actually um, it's while Philip is alive, that's an important part, and, and what happens is uh, Herodias and Salome, they leave Philip and they travel to Jerusalem. They, they live by a, a little cottage in the Sea of Galilee, and they live there with Herod Antipas. So Herod Antipas has this affair with, with, with her, and, and, and now it happens like in broad daylight, so to speak, and everybody knows about this. And, and so, so when you look at Herod, Ant- Herod and Herodias, you could say they're husband and wife. That's true. But you could also say they're brother-in-law and sister-in-law. That's true. You could also say they're uncle and niece. That's true. You could also say in, in Salome's case, Herod was her great uncle, or she was Herod's 12-year-old grandniece. So you got it? Yeah, it's just all mixed up. So here's the problem. Leviticus chapter 20 says this. If a man marries his brother's wife, it's an act of impurity. He has violated his brother and the guilty couple will remain childless. So the key point in this, guys, is that Philip was alive. If Philip is dead, that's a different situation. But if he's alive and this whole thing happens while he's alive, then it's, it's according to Old Testament law, it's sin. It's sin. It's wrong. So all the Jews understood this. And, and, and of course, John the Baptist understood this. So here's what happened. Verse 18 says, John had been telling Herod, it is against God's law for you to marry your brother's wife. So John the Baptist is just speaking truth in love. And he's saying, look, dude, <laughs> what you are doing is wrong. It's sin. It's wrong. You shouldn't have done that whole affair thing in, in Rome. And, and she shouldn't be living with you right now. And, and Philip is over there now. And you just made a mess. And, and it's, it's against God's law for you to do this with your brother's wife. This affair that's happening, it's sin. And he, uh, he doesn't like that, and his wife, Herodias, especially doesn't like that. Did you know, I, I just discovered something um, uh, as a pastor. I, I discovered not everyone wants to hear the truth. Have you ever discovered that? It might be shocking to you. Not everyone wants to hear the truth. In fact, as a pastor, I've discovered this. People love to hear the truth about others, but not about themselves. You know what I mean? They're okay talking, everybody's okay with you talking truth about other people. I'm going to talk truth about my friends. I'm going to talk truth about my spouse or the, the, my boss or my coworkers. Yeah, let's go ahead and let's drop some truth about them. Yeah, this is, the, this is just who they are. But when, when we hear truth talked about ourselves, it's different. It's different. In fact, if, 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 uh, if we hear truth, someone comes to us and, and, and says, I'm just going to speak truth about you. You can be a jerk. I'm going to speak truth about you. You have a horrible temper. I'm going to speak truth about you. You shouldn't treat your spouse like that. I'm going to speak truth about you. You shouldn't be living like that. And you know what happens a lot of times? We get offended. Who do you think you are to tell me that? Who made you the judge? We actually get angry. Rarely. And I, I've been a pastor, guys, for well over, kind of coming close to 25 years. And you know what, guys? I, I can probably count on one hand anytime anybody has ever come up to me and said, Pastor Reuben, I want you to speak truth about my character. What do you see? Nobody does that. 
Nobody does that. I, I, I thought about this and I thought, why is that? I think a lot of times if we're just honest, we try to live up to an image. And it's a lot of work to live up to an image, isn't it? You got to do some things externally and makeup or hair or whatever it is and look a certain way. And, and we try to present a certain image. You know what I'm talking about? It's like when you meet someone that you've never met before, what do you do? You try to put out your best image, don't you? You try to make an impression. But that, you know, kind of relax a little bit with the people that you live with, right? You're not so concerned. They're like a captive audience. And it's like, this is just who I am and that kind of thing. And I, I think we're aware of our, of our, of our uh, shortcomings. Let's put it that way. We're aware of that. But it's like, um, you know what? I'm going to learn to live with my shortcomings. It's not, I know I have a bad temper and I, I know I'm this way. And, and you know what? If you want to be my friend, you just got to learn to live with it. You just got to learn. This is who I am. And it's almost like a penalty or something like that. You know, this is just who I am, and you got to learn to live with me. And then if someone calls you out on that, you get upset because you've done a pretty good job concealing it and suppressing it. And when someone brings it up to the surface, you just get angry. You don't want to talk about it. I don't want to talk about, about, about my, my character. I don't want to bring them. Don't, you know what? I don't look at it. Why are you looking at it? And in this story, you see this grudge that happens. Mark chapter 6, verse 19. So Herodias, there's the wife. I can't believe she's pretty with a name like Herodias. I don't know. It sounds, it sounds like much of a hot woman to me, but maybe she is during those days. It's kind of like Gomer. That was another name. I'm just envisioning she was, anyway. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. Wow. She bore a grudge against John. It's interesting because John the Baptist is calling out um, King Herod, Antipas, Herod Antipas. He's speaking truth to Antipas, Herod Antipas, but the wife, Herodias, is the one who's born a grudge. You know what I'm talking about? Have you ever seen that before where like, like, like one spouse has this experience, so the other spouse like has a grudge or gets angry? They, they weren't even involved in the conversation, but they're just upset you know, kind of thing. That's what's happening. Um, I, I looked at this phrase, bore a grudge, and I did a little word study on it. It means this, to hold in or hold upon. To hold in or, or hold upon. And other, other definitions said this, to be enraged with, set one's self against, very close to hatred, very close, to hold within, to have Hostile feelings toward someone else. That's what it means to hold a grudge. It's like this internal thing. It's horrible. It's worse than like a kidney stone or something. It's this idea of I'm going to hold this thing inside of me. And it's, it's, it's internal hatred, internal anger. And I'm going to hold it. I don't like John the Baptist because what he said to my husband. And I'm going to be, I'm angry now. And I'm just, I don't like that teacher. I don't like that coach. I don't like that friend. I don't like whatever it is. And you're just going to hold it inside because you were badly hurt. And, and, and you, have, you want to see justice done. You want to see justice done. Uh, a Christian pathologist said it like this. He said, as a pathologist, I know that cancer is more curable when we remove it in its earliest, even precancerous stages. Once it has been allowed to grow and uh, metastasize, it becomes life-threatening. Herodias' precancerous grudge grew 
into a metastasis that ate up her entire soul and became life-threatening for John, eventually taking his life. Confess those precancerous grudges before they metastasize and cause irreparable damage. So grudges metastasize. They do. They eventually take over your joy and take over God's purpose for you. They take over your capacity to love. They take over your capacity to trust others. They really paralyze you in a lot of, lot of ways. You know, some of you came to, came to church and you're carrying a grudge from the past. When I was, uh, gosh, I was probably in fifth grade. I had a, a memorable birthday party. It was fifth grade, and I'm still carrying a grudge over it. Um, my mom hired a clown to come and do magic tricks in our, in our living room. And I invited all my class, my whole class, my kids know this story. I invited my entire class, and one friend showed up. <laughs> yeah, can you, everybody do that together? Go, oh, Yeah, the grudge is still here. So, so <laughs> I had this one friend that showed up, and I'll never forget this clown needed two volunteers. <laughs> And I was like looking around, and I was like, my mom and my only friend showed up to be the volunteers, and I'm like sitting down, you know, on the couch just watching my mom, and my, <laughs> I mean, it was a horrible day, and I went back to school the next day, and I'm looking at my friends, and I hate them all, because they didn't show, anybody have an experience like that? I'll never forget that. Some of you came to church, and you have a grudge from your past, And you're carrying, you're so, you know what, that grudge has become part of your life and the line has become really thin and you just have learned to live with that rock in your shoe. And this grudge from mom and dad or from your ex or from that friend or that boyfriend or girlfriend or that teacher or that job or whatever it is. And you came to church with that grudge and you're still upset about that birthday party. You know what I mean? You're still upset that you weren't invited to, to that party. You're still upset that you weren't in, in, included. You're still upset that you were overlooked by that coach. You're still upset that you weren't consulted. You're still upset that you weren't asked about your opinion and you weren't valued. You're still upset and you're ignored. And you know what you do with that stuff? It's like you go to bed with all of these memories and some of you just have so much weight. It's like you go to bed with 20 people in your bed every night. And you have all these grudges and you're sleeping like on the edge of the bed. (laughs) You know what I mean? Because you have all this hurt and anger and you're not getting rest and you wake up heavy hearted. Your heart needs to be cleaned out by God. Jesus wants to clean out your heart. You need to let it go. So the first thing you want to do if you want to carry a grudge is you have to hold on to the anger. And the second thing if you want to carry a grudge is you need to think highly of yourself. (coughs) Think highly of yourself. In fact, the more exalted we are in our own eyes, the more justified we will feel in holding a grudge. Think highly of yourself. You know what you should do? Is you should post something on social media, post it on Instagram or Facebook or Snapchat, whatever it is, and let people know who hurts you. So all of your social media friends can say, oh, you're poor. You know what? That's horrible. You're such a great person. You know, you deserve better than that. That's terrible. You know what? And they should, you should get counseling through social media. Yeah, that's what you should do. Timothy Keller said this. Holding a grudge against someone means you think you know what they deserve and you take it upon yourself to give it to them. That's what, that's what a grudge is. 
You put yourself in that seat of justice and you say, you know what? I, I want to, you know, it may be something even inside of you says, I want to see them fall. I want to see them fail. I want to see them trip up. I want to see them live a miserable life because what they did to me was wrong. You know what I mean? You want to have the other. And typically when we carry this internal anger, we do one of two things when we have this internal anger. One is we, we just like, we, we over, we're overly confrontational. Anybody like that? You just get up in someone's grill and you just let them know how you feel and you just like let it all down and you're like, you did this and you did this and you did, I mean, you're just over the top, right in their face and you just get all over them and you just spew out a whole bunch of words and whatever comes out, comes out, but they deserve it. You know what I mean? They deserve it. Or there's other people, when it comes to that internal anger, what we do is we internalize it. We don't talk about it with anybody. We don't process with anybody. We certainly don't confront the person who hurt us. We just internalize it. We might unfriend them. We might block them, whatever it is. And we want people to understand what we can't express ourselves. We internalize it. And we get angry if people don't understand when we ourselves aren't able to articulate it, but we get upset when people don't take our side or whatever it might be. I think in this whole thing about grudges, we make this huge assumption. Here's the big assumption we make. We're right. I'm right. I mean, we just convince ourselves that our perspective is accurate. Whatever I'm thinking is the truth. Yep, they did this because of this, and she said this because of this, and, and they did this because, and we, our perspective is true. That's the danger of grudges. You know what I've discovered is I've, I've, I'm in the people business, guys. I've been in the people business for a long time. And you know what I've discovered? By far the majority of time, there are some people that are truly evil and malicious, but by far the majority of the time, there's a misunderstanding or someone else is going through their own brokenness, their own hurt, and that's why they said what they said. There's a reason why that person acted that way. There's a reason why they're, they're, they're held captive in that addiction. There's a reason why they said that thing. And they're just passing on their hurt to other people. And, but we don't say we personalize everything so much. And we think, oh, this is personal. When the truth is, they're just as broken as you are. And they, we all need the grace of God. We all need the grace of God. You think about it. What did John the Baptist do wrong? All he did was say, dude, what you're doing is sin. You need to repent of that. Well, that was, that was fire. That was, that was that Herodias, his wife, um, Herod's wife didn't appreciate that. Why did she take it so personally? Another version said it like this. So Herodias nursed a grudge. Can you say that with me? Nursed a grudge. Nursed a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. I think, isn't that a strong phrase? Nursed a grudge. The nursing mom's room is not for nursing grudges, okay? Just so you know that. Hey, where's Pastor Jeremy? I said that last night and nobody laughed. It was, I, it was horrible. I'm not a good joke teller. That was, that was Pastor Jeremy's joke. That's the truth. You know, Justin knows that. Do you know what nursed a grudge means? It means this, had it in for him. That's what nursed a grudge means. Had it in for him. Have you ever nursed something? 
I'm not talking about a baby. I'm talking about nursing something, you know, something else. A man in Tucson, Arizona, true story. You can Google it. A man in Tucson, Arizona, he, uh, he adopted this puppy given to him, and, and he just loved on this puppy in Tucson and, and uh, <coughs> nursed it, fed it, gave it water, gave it a home, just really loved on this puppy. And this puppy, um, as it was growing, the man noticed some things. When he got older, he noticed that this puppy um, didn't want dog treats. Didn't want dog treats. He also noticed this puppy. Um, also, um, he was a, a generally, he was skittish. He was very skittish. And, and uh, he also noticed that uh, he wanted a lot of attention, but attention from, from only the man. He didn't want attention from anyone. He also noticed this puppy didn't give any eye contact. This dog didn't give any eye contact. And uh, also noticed that he was constantly outmaneuvering this man. He was jumping the fence, and he just wanted to be with other dogs, this puppy. Um, they, just, they just noticed that about this, about this puppy, and, and it, it seemed more odd as it got older. So this man, uh, eventually he takes him to uh, southern Arizona and, and, and takes him to this uh, humane society there in, uh, in uh, the Humane Society of Southern Arizona and uh, takes him to the Humane Society and he says, I don't know what this dog's acting weird and this kind of thing and now he's getting bigger and now we don't, I don't understand what he's doing. And, and the CEO of the Humane Society came out and said, you know this isn't a dog, right? The man was raising a wolf and didn't know it. He was nursing it and caring for it, and that wolf was getting older and bigger and started acting more like a wolf as it got bigger. So here's what I want you to hear. Whatever you nurse might have fangs one day, all right? So you need to be careful. We, we think grudges could be innocent, and we can sing like amazing grace and call ourselves a Christian or call yourself whatever, call yourself a good person and convince yourself it's not affecting you. The truth is... It's affecting you. The enemy wants to capitalize on that grudge. John Piper said, Satan seeks a gap called a grudge. And the devil knows if he can plant a grudge inside of you, it'll change your character. It'll change who you are. It'll keep you from seeking God. It'll keep you from growing spiritually. It'll reduce your effectiveness. It'll reduce your ability to experience God's will for your life. See, let me just say it this way. If you don't learn to forgive, you cannot go to the next level in your relationship with God. You've got to learn to forgive. And the only way you can forgive is when you turn to Jesus and you say, Jesus, I just need you. I need your grace and your mercy. I need you to teach me how to love, teach me how to forgive. Because if you don't forgive, it's going to rob you from experiencing the life that God has for you. It's like you're going to get used to that rock in your shoe and you're just going to walk around with it. Leviticus 19 says it like this. Do not seek revenge or or say that with me, or bear a grudge. Say bear a grudge. Do not, or bear a grudge against anyone among your people. But, let's read it out loud, guys. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So God was giving this instruction to the Israelites. 
And I did a little study on this. This word bear a grudge means to keep, guard, or retain. That's the Hebrew interpretation. Uh, the JPS Torah commentary, it's like my favorite Old Testament commentary, says this. The, the, the sense of this verse is not is that one ought not to keep alive the memory of another's offense against him. Interesting way to put it, is it? One not ought to keep alive the memory of another's offense against him. So check this out. It's like when you, uh, when someone hurts you and you experience that, you know, there's that grudge inside and you're like, oh, that hurt. You know, man, that, that ugh, you know, you, you feel that inside. Uh, and when you, when you talk about it and you tell your friend, you know, somebody comes up to you and says, hey, you know what, uh, Nancy, uh, you know, she such, seems like such a sweet woman. And, and you want to say, no, you don't know Nancy like I know Nancy. You think she's sweet, but I've seen the other side. And let me just give you the lowdown of Nancy because I want you to be angry with her just like I'm angry with her. You hear what I'm saying? I want you to be upset. I want you to know the other side. You, she's not who you think she is. He's not who you think he is. I've seen him behind the curtain. And when you talk about whatever, him or her, you talk about that memory, you think about it, or you, you, you talk about it out loud and you have this imaginary conversation about it, or, or you're just constantly rehearsing this thing and, and, you, and you're like talking about it with other people and, and it's still fresh on your mind and that kind of thing. When you do that, you're like giving life support to your grudge. You're keeping it alive. Let it die. Let God heal you. You want to know if you truly are past that hurt? Can you be in the same room with that person and be okay? Can you be in the same room with that person and be okay? Sometimes our strategy for dealing with people who've hurt us is just to nix them out of our life. Don't put up any pictures in my house about them and remove all their photos from my Insta account or whatever it is. And I'm just going to do that. And that's how I'm going to get over this. Really what you're doing is you're just suppressing everything. And there's really no healing that's happened inside of your heart. And, and bearing a grudge hurts you more than the person who hurts you. Because you're the one who's holding on to that. It affects your character. It affect, you, you become just crabby and you, it just affects you in so many negative ways. Let's go back to the story, guys. Verse 19 says this. So Herodias bore a grudge against John and wanted to kill him. But without Herod's approval, she was powerless. So the wife wants to kill him, but she doesn't have the power to kill him. She needs her husband to, to initiate this. For Herod respected John. It's an interesting phrase. So Herod respected John, even though John spoke truth to him. And knowing that he was a good and holy man, he protected him. Herod was greatly disturbed whenever he talked with John. But even so, he liked to listen to him. I've had relationships like that. Um, look, let's talk about this husband-wife thing just for a little bit. Husband likes John the Baptist. The wife doesn't like John the Baptist. Husband feels one way. Wife feels another way. Who do you think is going to win? Herod Antipas, he really was a, a weak husband. He was a weak leader. He liked to utter threats, and rarely would he take action. He hoped that his threats would be good enough. Uh, he learned early that the best course of action was to be passive. He was the husband that was like, I'm just going to hang back. And I'm going to let everything play out. I'm not going to get involved. It's going to go away. It's going to work itself out. That's what 
That's who Herod was as a husband. And, and it, it wouldn't, that, that, does, that doesn't work out, incidentally, man. Let me just be honest with you. It takes more courage to be honest. He was an insecure husband who just wanted to make his wife happy. And he preferred to put things off instead of taking action. And, at, as, and really, it was a woman who organized things for him. In fact, uh, he only made a claim for his throne after his aunt promised to help him. And in fact, when uh, he had this affair, with Herodias, his own wife. He didn't leave his wife. His wife left him. So Herod Antipas was a weak husband, a weak leader, a passive husband. But when you look at the daughter of Herodias, it was actually Herodias and and Philip, the daughter, Salome, she was influenced by mom. She was influenced by mom. Um... I'm going to read verse 21. Herodias' chance finally came on Herod's birthday. He gave a party for his high official gov- uh, government officials, army officers, and the leading citizens of Galilee. So there was a big party. This guy loved partying. So he, Herod had this big party. Then his daughter, that's Sol- also named Herodias, it's really Salome, uh, came in and performed a dance that generally, or greatly, Greatly pleased Herod and his guests. So I don't know what this dance was, but it was probably sexual in nature. And, and she does this dance. And incidentally, she's between 14 and 16 years old. And she could just move her hips or something like that. And she was just gave this amazing dance. I don't even want to try to imitate it. But she did that. And, uh, and, and then the Herod and his guests, uh, he said this, Ask me for anything you like, the king said to the girl. And I will give it to you. He was so aroused by this dance that he tells this girl, what, what do you want? What do you want? I'll do it for you. He said, he even vowed, I will give you whatever you ask up to half my kingdom. Well, he's exaggerating. Truth is, he's a proxy of Rome. He doesn't have that kind of authority to give away half a kingdom. He's put in there because of Rome. He, d- he just doesn't have that authority, but he likes to flex. And, and he says, whatever you want. Uh, so Salome, um, you know, she's not sure what she to do. So she goes to her mom. And let me say this. Never trust a tongue that has a bitter heart. Oh, that's good, guys, what I'm dropping right there. Never trust a tongue that has a bitter heart. Don't ask them for advice. Don't ask for them for advice about a relationship. Don't ask them advice about reconciliation. Don't ask them advice about forgiveness. Don't ask them advice for love and grace. Or, and don't ask them advice on how to resolve a conflict because their, their will is polluted. The water is polluted inside of them. So whatever they say with their tongue comes from a polluted well. Don't never trust a tongue that has a bitter heart. Never trust a tongue that has a bitter heart. And Jesus made this really clear in Luke chapter 6. He said a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart. And an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. What you say, oh, let's read that out loud, guys. What you say flows from what is in your heart. Let's read it again, guys. What you say flows from what is in your heart. So if you want to know what someone's heart is like, just listen. 
And the words that come out of their mouth is coming from their heart. The words that are coming out of their mouth comes from the heart. And you can hear hurt, pain, anger, insecurity, grudges. You can hear all that come through the mouth. So, so never trust, never trust a tongue that has a bitter heart. Verse 24 says she went out. This is Solomon. She, she went out and asked her mother, what should I ask for? So mom is excited about this because she's had it in for, jo- for, for Joshua, for, for, for John. And, and her mother told her, ask for the head of John the Baptist. So it's like Salome has a blank check and she's like going to mom and saying, what should I do? She, this is evidence also she did not expect Herod Antipas to give her a blank check. She didn't expect that. So she goes home and says, mom, Herodias, you know, what should I do? I got this blank check. What should I do? And mom has been nursing a grudge, right? She's been nursing a wolf. (laughs) She's been nursing a grudge inside of her. So you know what she says? Ask for the head of John the Baptist. He's been talking about me and Herod for long enough. He's said what we're doing is sin. This is a way I can get him. Ask for his head. Some people, let me say it like this, sometimes it takes a murder to satisfy a grudge. Some, some people are so full of hate, they just want someone's life to be destroyed. Reminds me of Matthew chapter 5. Jesus said, you've, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Jesus was constantly looking at the heart. He's like, I know you shouldn't murder. The Old Testament says, let me tell you, if you hate someone, it's like murder. So, she, so this girl, um, Salome, she, verse 25, she, she, she gets hers from mom and and, says, and she says, this, so the girl hurried back to the king and told him, I want the head of John the Baptist right now on a tray. Then the king deeply regretted what he had said. Remember, because he liked John the Baptist, but because of the vows he had made in front of his guest, he couldn't refuse her. So he immediately sent an executioner to the prison to cut off John's head and bring it to him. The soldier beheaded John in the prison, brought his head on a tray, and gave it to the girl who took it to her mother. Wow. In, in uh, Scotland, there's this museum and there's a picture of this scene right here, guys. Of, um, John's head on a tray. And when I look at that picture, I just see, I see a grudge. A grudge, that's what I see. I see the power of that grudge being fulfilled. I think about the life of John the Baptist incidentally. John the Baptist, his whole life was to lift up someone else, right? It's Jesus. That's what he did. He lifted up someone else his whole life. And at the very end, the way he, his life ends is he, he's in prison. Um, and he's there because he spoke truth. And then he's beheaded. That's the way his life ends. And it's also interesting that Jesus says later on that there was no one more righteous than John the Baptist. Sometimes we can get hung up on our own life and You look at someone like John the Baptist and his whole life was to lift up Jesus and he was beheaded and he was called great. When you keep reading this story, 
It says, when John's disciples heard what had happened, they came to get his body and buried it in a tomb. Headless body. Here's what I want to say to you. You've got to settle in your mind how you are going to handle hurt and anger. Settle it right now. Don't wait for it to happen to you. Settle it in your mind how you're going to manage hurt and anger. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you two ways to handle hurt and anger right now, guys. You need to take this home. This is going to save you counseling. It's going to save you so much and heartache. And it'll, it, the devil won't get a hold on your life if you do these things. Here's two things I want you to do. Is Number one, when you're hurt or angry, pray for the person who hurt you. I know that's hard, but it's really hard to stay angry with someone you're praying for. Pray for the person who hurts you. Remember this, they're broken. They're broken just like you, and there's something that's happened in their life. And and you start seeing them through the eyes of God. Jesus said, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. So I've discovered um, spiritually mature people are careful about what they hold on to. I didn't share this last night, guys. You got to hear this. Spiritually mature people are careful what they hold on to. They let go quickly of things that are garbage. They don't hold on. They only hold on to things that are going to help them grow. Help them to be better and stronger, a better person and and closer to God. They hold on to those. But spiritually mature people are aware, I'm not going to hold on to that fear. I'm not going to hold on to that anger. I'm not going to hold on to that word. I know the person who said that has a polluted will. I know they have a bitter heart. So why in the world am I going to hold on to their words? Why am I going to give them that power over me? I'm not going to hold on to those words. Those words aren't from God. Spiritually mature people are careful, discerning about what they're going to hold on to, and they quickly let it go. They quickly let it go. Spiritually immature people hold on to things they shouldn't hold on to it, and they hold on longer than they should as well. You know what I'm talking about? So spiritually mature people say, nope, I'm not going to, I heard what that person said. I know their heart. I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to pray for them. And here's the second thing you got to do. If you want to go to the next level in your relationship with God, you got to do this. Forgive them. Now, the only way you can forgive is if you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. I couldn't forgive unless God was living inside of me, unless I've experienced the forgiveness of my sins. And scripture says, instead be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. So that's the standard. It's not about your version or your definition of forgiveness. It's not about your definition of grace. It's not about your definition of mercy. It's not, your, it's not about you because truth is your love is very conditional. 
Your love has strings attached. It's about God's love for you. And we're just to be this vessel of God's love. And you hurt me. And I hear, I heard what you said, but I'm considering the source. And I'm going to pray for you instead. And the next thing I'm going to do is I'm going to forgive you. And you know what? Sometimes when you forgive people, they don't know you forgave them, do they? Sometimes they don't come back and say, hey, man, my bad. Sometimes they don't come back and say, I messed up, forgive me. Very few people do that. They don't even come back and say, I'm sorry many, many times. But it's about you managing your own heart. It's about you not allowing your will to become polluted. So you extend grace and mercy over them. You forgive them even though they haven't even asked for forgiveness. What you're doing is you're not allowing anything to creep up inside of your own heart. So you don't want to be a Herodias. What a woman. She wasn't happy until, until she had revenge, murder, eventually. You don't want to be like that. When, I, when you look at this story, it's a crazy story because when you keep looking at Mark chapter 6, you really see the, the mercy of Jesus. You see the love of Jesus. You know what happens when the disciples go back and say, hey, Jesus, John the Baptist is dead and let's go bury him. And they have a funeral. They, they have a funeral. They bury John the Baptist, and the scripture doesn't say this, but I'm guessing Jesus said a few words, and it was a ceremony kind of thing that happened. And then Jesus in scripture, he says, let's just go away for a little bit. Uh, we just need to take a breather. You know what I mean? You know, sometimes you need that. So he goes away, he withdraws from the crowd, and the disciples go with him, and scripture says he goes to a desolate place. And he just like needs to process and recharge. You know what I mean? We've done that before. Like, I just need to get away a little bit. You know, I'm in this fight and I'm just tired of this fight. I'm in this cage match kind of thing. And I'm just, I just need to, I just need to check out for a little bit. And he goes and he checks out for a little bit. And he goes to a desolate place. And the scripture says, people find out where he's at. And they start following him to this. He doesn't even have space doesn't even have space to grieve. He doesn't even have space to process. And, and this whole crowd shows up where he's at and they want to hear more about Jesus. They want more miracles. And eventually they run out of food. And you know what happens? They say, we're hungry. And there's about 5,000 people there. And there's this incredible miracle. And there it is right there behind Justin. The feeding of the 5,000 happens with a few fish and loaves. That miracle happens literally on the edge of a funeral for John the Baptist. Now you see the love of Jesus. He's exhausted. And he could have had a grudge and say, you know what? You guys killed my friend, my relative. Some say my cousin. You, you know, he could have been like, you know what? I'm just tired today. No miracles today. <laughs> you know, no soup for you. <laughs> no miracles for anyone today. No miracles. The shop is closed. I'm tired of people. You guys are evil people. But you know what he does? He feeds them. Don't you want to have the heart of Jesus? Isn't that beautiful? Even in the state of exhaustion. You know, who are you when you're exhausted and hungry? And Jesus loves on them. His grace and his mercy. And scripture says, we're to forgive as he has forgiven us. Well, I want to give you an opportunity 
to turn to the Lord. Some of you, your first step is you need to invite Jesus into your life. You came to church and it's so cool that you're here, but you know your relationship with Jesus just isn't there. It's about a relationship. It's, it's not about a religion. And you can start a new relationship with Jesus right now. I want to lead you in a prayer. My prayer is that these words become your words. Others of you, maybe you consider yourself a Christian. I don't know, but you have grudges inside of you and you've just learned to live with them. But it's affecting your character. And the people around you know that your character has changed because of the condition of your heart. You want to lose some weight right now? Some spiritual weight? You have an opportunity right now. Let me pray for you guys. God, thank you for your grace and your mercy. You're so good and we worship you. God, I want to pray for, uh, first of all, for that person who doesn't know you. And if that's you, would you just invite Jesus into your heart right now? And maybe you want to become a Christian, say this prayer. Say, Jesus, I turn to you with all my heart and, and I ask you to forgive me for my sins. I want to start a new life with you. I repent of those sins. I change my mind. I don't want to live that way anymore. So I want to give you my life. So be Lord of my past and Lord of my present and Lord of my future, Jesus. Others of you, maybe you came to church with a grudge and it's time to take it off. Say this. Jesus, help me. God, I need you to take this grudge. I'm going to give it to you right now, God. Take my bitter heart. I don't want to let this hurt live inside of me anymore. I don't want to let this anger live inside of me anymore. So cleanse my heart, Holy Spirit, right now. Do a work inside of me. Set me free from that hurt. Thank you, God. I'm so grateful, God, that you're still in the business of changing lives and you're so faithful and true. Thank you, Jesus, for your great love. And Jesus, I'm so grateful that even on the heels of this event, you still love people enough to do another miracle and, and to feed them. And you treat us in a way that we don't even deserve so many times. Thank you, Lord. May we live our life in a way that honors you. Bless every home and watch over every man and woman, young and old. It's in Jesus' name we pray all of this. And the church said, Amen.